Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I've been thinking a lot lately about the story of Israel, God's people, and how, you know, you have this amazing call of Abraham, Abram and Sarai, to leave the land, uh, their homeland, and their relatives, their ethnicity, you could say, and their father's house, and to go to the place that God would show them. And and they leave, and there are these pilgrims who travel um, to through it through the land of Canaan, but they don't end up settling, you know. And that whole um, story ends up, you know, with Abraham having Isaac, and then Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and then Jacob having his the twelve sons and his daughter, and and then you know they end up in Egypt where they are. There's four hundred years where God's people are enslaved. And, um, and, you know, we see that the call doesn't have to lead to an immediate, you know, sort of uh, coming into the land and um, into the place of bounty to that land of milk and honey. But there are many detours along the way for God's people. And this story is meant for us to reflect on and to look at contemporary equivalents. And, and I think, uh, so we see that there's the danger of slavery. And, and I've been talking to our community about this here at Tierra Nueva, um, you know, just about how are we enslaved? You know, how are we, um, you know, like forced, I guess, into this life of where we're subjugated. And, you know, um, the people of God were uh, 400 years in this situation. And who would be contemporary Egyptians? So we got talking about that. And we were thinking just the economy. I mean, um, surviving today in our economy it's so expensive for people, especially where we live between Vancouver and Seattle. The prices, price of housing has gone way, way up. And um, just need the need for, you know, like high paying jobs. Um, you know, people need more than they have usually. And most of our people in our community are not even paying their bills. They're just getting behind, further and further behind, which means they have to work harder and longer. And, you know, they're, they're people feel enslaved, so many of our people. And if, or they might be enslaved in the sense that they don't qualify for housing and they're living in their house or in their car or on the streets or, you know, in the woods. And so they feel like they're in a place where they're completely stuck, where they don't have any way forward. Or the pharaoh might be manifested in, you know, methamphetamines or fentanyl, which uh, enslaves people. And they end up feeling like they have to, you know, just get high um, in order to just feel okay and not being completely like an excruciating pain. And so you have so many people that are, that are in different forms of bondage, you know, addictions of different kinds, addictions to pornography, to work, you know, workaholism, um, going to the casinos, you know, what are some of the ways that, um, what, who are the manifestations of Pharaoh in your life? I think it's really important to, 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 to think about what does it mean, um, you know, like how do we, how in what ways are we, I guess, slaves, like, like the people of God were enslaved? And then what does liberation look like? Because this story of liberation is a core story in scripture that is uh, repeated in different ways um, throughout the whole Bible. You know, the Exodus is a metaphor. Um, it's more than a metaphor. It's, it's a story that has empowered so many liberation movements and so many um, struggles of resistance and people have found great hope in this story. 
And one of the things we see is the, the prophetic is at work in the story. Abe, Moses is called and he has this role to go before Pharaoh. And, um, but Pharaoh is, it does not change. I mean, he, um, in the end, when the last plague strikes and, uh, the firstborn of the Egyptians are, they die. And, um, then, you know, Pharaoh finally relents and he calls Moses and Aaron and tells them to get out with their people and all their herds and every, everybody and, and to leave. And so we see that, uh, these judgments are, um, they, they cattle, they're, they're catalytic in a way to, and they provoke this, they, they create this moment when Israel actually has, um, an opportunity to run, run for their lives. And of course, right on the eve of that, we have the Passover where, uh, the people of God are told to slaughter, a, you know, a firstborn male sheep or goat and to roast the meat and to make unleavened bread and then to take the blood and to put it over the doorposts of their houses. And so that they, um, in recognition that they need some blood needs to be shed for this protection of their firstborn, which represents the whole of their family and their, and their, and their, and their future, you know, because you need, um, in order to have a genealogy in that patriarchal system, you needed to have the firstborn male that would eventually have, um, children that would, and there'd be a firstborn male on that, that, that system of the genealogical, you know, like, future was essential. So anyway, um, the, the Israelites were to eat the Passover with their loins girded, you know, with their pants on and with their staff in their hands and their sandals and ready to flee. And, and so that last plague created the space for them to run. But what's interesting is that liberation doesn't happen through these plagues. You know, the death of the firstborn doesn't lead to a complete break with uh, slavery because um, when Pharaoh discovers that um, they've all left, he changes his mind and chases after them. And um, one of the things that I want us to look at today is just uh, how this continues to be the case today when we make our break from whatever's enslaving us, we can expect to be pursued, to be chased. And, um, and this is something we see and, and we need to be able to look at that in a super realistic way. So I want us to look at um, the Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. Um, it says, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God is aware of all of our, you know, um, weaknesses to, you know, when things get tough, we, we, we want to go back to the old ways. Um, so anyway, God, uh, as a pastor that God is, led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. And so then we see um, this, um, all the stuff where God is actually going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And, um, and that's really cool. And then, um, in the next chapter, we see Pharaoh in pursuit. So, um, so they've left and, um, you know, and, and we leave, um, and when we leave, um, I think this story is meant to show us that, you know, departure is not, um, it's not the final, uh, liberation moment. It's, um, it just gives us an opportunity to run for our lives. 
Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Phihahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, this these verses bring up all kinds of questions, like, why is God hardening Pharaoh's hearts, heart? Um, one thing to pay attention to is that Pharaoh is not mentioned as having a proper name. He's just a, it's a title. And so um, when we look at the New Testament and we see the language of the principalities and powers, Pharaoh um, is a place name, a placeholder for uh, the powers. And this was the dominant imperial power that, um, you know, that enslaved God's people. And so when God hardens the heart of Pharaoh, it's like saying he's not going to allow the salvation, um, you know, salvation or oppression to be, um, you know, to be achieved, I guess, by, by the powers, because the powers are in rebellion and they're, and they're going to be destroyed. They need to be destroyed. They can't be reformed, which is a critical uh, thing for us to face when we think about social change today. Um, and of course, I want to insist that there were 10 plagues and Moses, his prophetic role did include going before Pharaoh. And there's a whole dynamic there where um, we see we see that Pharaoh, um, with every plague, we have defection happening. We have um, a lot of the people of Egypt are breaking um you know, breaking agreement with Pharaoh and leaving, even some of his officials. We also see that Moses is growing in his accuracy to prophesy and is saying what God tells him to say. In the beginning, he doesn't. He doesn't say what God tells him to say. And then we also see that God's people are growing in trust um, in their, their, their leader, Moses, but also in God, that God is actually more powerful than uh, the system, the systems that oppress. Okay, so so there is a place, um, and, and also God's objective is that Egypt might know that, that God is the Lord. And, um, and so there's a salvific uh, aim there, a missional aim in wanting uh, Egypt to, to actually recognize that God is uh, who, who God is, that Pharaoh is not God, that the powers are not God. And um, an aside, you know, when the firstborn Egyptians are taken or killed, that's a way of God claiming his own. And now this is an idea that is so foreign to our mindset. But if the firstborn belong to the Lord, and we're given the opportunity to make a sacrifice that um, redeems the firstborn, which is what the Passover was about, but people don't do that, okay, well then God claims the firstborn, which is a way of saying God's claiming Egypt. And in, a, in other prophetic texts, it says, God says, Egypt is mine. And so um, is Egypt then being saved by the taking of the firstborn as a way of God declaring God's, you know, that the earth is the Lord's, including um, Egyptians? You know, I, I think it's an interesting thing to think about. But anyway, let's go back to, um, you know, to Exodus chapter 14. So um, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, this is verse 5, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart towards the people. And they said, what is this that we've done, that we've let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready, and he took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots, 
and all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. Notice again the language of the powers here. Chariots, officers. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Once again, the language of the powers. Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he chased after the sons of Israel, as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them, um, camping by the sea beside Fihahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. Okay, so chasing is being emphasized. Several times it occurs, this word, uh, they chased after the sons of Israel. And I like to just say they, they chased after the people of God. So um, this is something that we need to be completely um, wide-eyed and realistic about is that when we are making our break from whatever is entrapping us or enslaving us, you know, we can expect to be pursued. And, um, but anyway, let's see how God deals with this situation. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay. So fear is a natural response. And that's what we have here. And, you know, um, what's good about this is they cry out to the Lord. And so when we are afraid, this is uh, showing us the way forward. You know, we, we cry out to the Lord, we pray. And crying out is a desperate um, action, isn't it? It's a kind of prayer that's a, a real desperate prayer, you know, foxhole prayer. Then they said to Moses, and now here they kind of falter, don't they? Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Okay, so this is how many people feel when they're leaving their drug of choice. You know, they get into detox. They begin to, um, they get into a, a inpatient treatment program. They, um, then they get out and they maybe they get involved in an outpatient program. And then all of their, 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 the chaos that happened as a result of their addiction, they have to deal with. Uh, all kinds of things. You have to deal with um, getting uh, access to children that have been taken into foster care by Child Protective Services. And some of those have been, uh, they don't have access to because there's restraining orders and they have to pay child support. They have to um, pay all kinds of debts and fines. And because maybe they're felons from past criminal activities, they, they, they have to, it's much harder to get housing and they don't have any in income. or And so they have to find a job and for a lot of people, that's what causes them to relapse and to go right back to Egypt. And, um, you know, or just anxiety when, we, when we're dealing with anxieties and we say we have a drug of choice or alcohol or whatever, and, we, and we've learned how to depend upon that or pharmaceuticals, whatever it might be, or any kind of addiction. You know, when we start to, uh, if we try to white knuckle it, or if whatever we do to try to, to, try to leave um, our, you know, our normal habits, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not going to um, kind of long for the, the old way and fall back into it. And and just to say, wow, you know, this is not working. Uh, Spirituality is not working. Um, these other uh, alternate approaches aren't working. I'm going to go back. And I think um, this is uh, this is really normative for people today. And so they want to go back. And often we want to go back. 
And um, but then we have this incredibly powerful section where um, in verse 13, but Moses said to the people, do not fear. See, it's it's something um, normal for us to fear um, before they feared and they cried out. Now they fear and they and they want to relapse. Moses says to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Now, this um, this word right here is, has really been speaking to me because I can see that um, when I begin to see signs of hope that someone or something's changing that I've been praying for. Okay, but then I see um, that that hope is suddenly uh, destroyed by, you know, by by just different events that happen, maybe um, choices someone makes or or just, um, you know, things that don't go the way that I thought that look like there's no, there's no change, no hope anymore. I think typically I, I can just get anxious and then begin to act out of anxiety rather than out of trust. And, um, or say, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're people that depend upon support raising for our personal support as uh, missionaries, as, as pastoral workers to populations that can't afford to you know, to tithe and to, and to support us. And so when I can see that there's no, um, no money coming in, um, then often I can get anxious and, and then, and then that can motivate me in a way that I don't, that I don't want to be motivated. I can, I can feel like pushed to work harder, you know, to do more and, and that, and I can get into a frenzy of busyness and activity. And, and I can see that this, um, it's critical that I learn how to not fear and um and i need to be told that do not fear and um but to stand by and to see the salvation of the lord to actually trust in god and to choose to trust and to have faith and to do things that actually help nourish my faith strengthen my faith you know to have fellowship with other people to pray with other people to you know read um good theology or scripture to um you know to just be in a place where i'm i'm praying and i'm watching and and to in, invite other people who are people who who are prayerful people to join with me in praying which is what i've been doing and that's been creating so much more peace in my heart and so look what happens then um verse 15 the lord said to moses why are you crying out to me tell the sons of israel to go forward yeah right okay just like go right into the sea they're right on the banks of it and um but here we have this strong word of God to us, to the people of God, to not let the barriers that seem insurmountable um, be something that would just demobilize us and cause us to, to, to just panic or to or to go back to the land of slavery, to go back to the old way. Um, it, this looks like an impossible, impossible possibility. And anyone who is a realist would say, you can't go forward. Okay, but, you know, we, we need to remember these scriptures like um, with God, all things are possible or all things are possible to the one who believes and keeps on believing. Um, As for you, lift up your staff, he says to Moses, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Okay, so this is the prophetic, uh, the prophet Moses, the liberator, who is given this task of, of a prophetic just gesture, right, um, of, of like really standing um, with his staff, which uh, was something he used. He, he was called to throw it down 
and it would become a snake in front of Pharaoh, right? And his magicians, and then to grab it by the tail and it become a staff or to, you know, um, so the staff was, was an instrument of signs and wonders and, um, which required faith, you know, to just, just, to just throw the staff down on the ground and, and thinking that it's going to become a snake. I mean, or to, 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 you know, to stretch out your hand over the sea, um, you know, that would feel foolish, wouldn't it? Anyway, God says, as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. Okay, in other words, a warning. When um, it, when you're moving forward into what seems impossible, um, expect to be chased into that place. The, you're not going to just be free from the pursuers. Um, and then God, God says, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. In other words, like the powers are going to be defeated, but the way they get defeated is by moving forward, even if they're chasing you, you know, so we move forward in faith, even, even if the bills are chasing us and, you know, we know that, you know, we're not, um, you know, we're, money's not coming in or, or we move, move forward in faith and we continue our mission, even though, uh, we're losing so many people to this, uh, fentanyl pandemic, um, or, you know, we're, you know, we, whatever it is, there's so many obstacles to mission and, and to our callings and our vocations. But I think God is saying through this story that we're to move forward in the face of this, of all this opposition, uh, with people pursuing us, um, doesn't matter. We, our trust needs to be in God. Um, so then, um, then the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord when I'm honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen, the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. So there you go. You have, you have celestial support, you know, the angelic support and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. And so there was, there is protection here when we move forward and we trust, you know, this is like, um, I think a story that should encourage us to, um, and we, we can practice this and actually live this out. And we need to. And this is uh, something we're teaching our people about, how to actually step into this in a concrete way. Um, so it came be between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud um, along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus, uh, the one did not come near um, the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. As the morning watch, at the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked 
on dry ground land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Um, so here we see that um, Moses as an exemplary prophetic figure and um, saving agent of salvation, he is told by God to have a zero tolerance policy towards the powers. You know, there's, there's no pity that is shown them, right? There's, it's not like there's this naive optimism about the institutions um, that they're going to save us. You know, right now, I just see this um, in our county where, um, you know, there's all this grant money that's available for the opioid crisis. And so many people are, are trying to get grants. And, you know, there's the assumption that um, institutions are going to save everything. And um, institutions do help. And I'm glad that there are groups that, including our own group, that, you know, we're, uh, we need to be um, funded to be able to do different actions. But I think the mindset that we have in the West, in, in, in the United States, for sure, is that, you know, you just throw money at problems through creating um, organizations and, you know, nonprofit organizations like, uh, and um, then, you know, you have staff on the ground and you can just solve all these problems through programs of different kinds, through, you know, recovery programs, through, um, and, I'm, and I'm not saying we don't need those programs. But I think the belief is that we actually can, um, we can, we can save ourselves, and people can save themselves, and um, and that and that the powers um, are salvageable, and um, and even good, you know. Um, and of course, the powers are necessary. They are part of the good creation. They are made by Christ and for Christ. And you know, we are called to, you know, to to be um, to, to honor you know, the rulers, the authorities, you know, the governments that are over us and to follow the laws and that kind of thing, but not to overly, uh, you know, kind of elevate them as, um, you know, as, as agents of, you know, security and salvation, like so many people do for the armed forces, you know, in the United States, there's such a high view of the people that are in the military, you know, or um, police or, or anybody like that. And, you know, and I, once again, I want to say that I, I, I think we do need to honor people, but not be romantic about it or not think, okay, well, we're going to just hate on these uh, authority figures that are from a, the political party that we disdain. And once we get our people in, in power, you know, our government, then we're going to, um, then we're going to be able to do it right. You know, that's so much the mentality that we have in the United States right now, with the, the gridlock between the Republican and the Democratic parties. And the assumption that if each of these parties just, you know, just gets their act together, that they can lead the way um, to America being great again or whatever, um, in the liberal version of that or in the conservative version of that. But what I see is that um, some of these powers that we are up against, like the economy, um, just the whole um, capitalist system, the way it has just been taken over by, you know, by big, big corporations and you know, and people's wages are, are just really inadequate for, for being able to, you know, cover their basic needs. You know, like we live in an area where there's just a huge, like, uh, you know, like retail businesses and many people have these minimum wage jobs and no one can live on minimum wage. And so when we look at some of these big systems, we need to be able to, to denounce them 
and not just think that reforming them is going to be what's going to save us, even though, of course, we need to reform them. And once again, we, we have Moses modeling that uh, where he goes, um, you know, there's 10 different plagues that are, the objective is to bring about change, but change doesn't happen. Um, it, we do have this running, this space where the final plague leads to people being able to run for their lives, but then these powers chase after them. And, you know, we can expect to be preyed on, you know, by um, things like some of the idols of our time, like materialism and, and money, you know, mammon, um, and, um, and just even hatred and, um, so many things that are like predatory. And, um, but here we see that it's actually the Lord who saves Israel and that salvation comes through the destruction of the powers, destruction of the, of, of the chariots and, um, the horsemen and the entire army. And, uh, not one of them remain after them. And this is really the message of of first Corinthians 15, where um, then comes the end after Christ has destroyed every ruler, authority and power and death, the final enemy is destroyed as well, right? Because he must reign until all of his enemies are put under his feet and under our feet. So verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. And that's what leads to this huge, um, um, you know, like this is the Exodus. And this incredible story, um, a song of Moses that follows that I'm going to read right now before uh, making some observations about predatory evil. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord. This is um, Exodus 15 and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Okay, so the horse and the rider would represent uh, the agents of, that pursue, you know, act, uh, predatory powers that chase after us to try to bring us back into slavery, right? And so we need to think about what the horse and its rider, um, how they manifest in our own lives. Um, you know, I see a, a guy that we've just been w walking alongside who was just doing so, so well, but he recently relapsed because, um, the prosecutor in our County, um, decided to charge him for some past crime, even though he was in drug court, this guy was in drug court complying with everything. And so really it was the law, um, and following the letter of the law and, uh, the prosecutor operating without any compassion, but just, uh, just following the letter of the law, which he, he had discretion. He didn't have to charge this guy. So in a way, um, the, the legal system and the office of the prosecution would be like the horse and its rider. You know, um, the horse would be the legal system and the rider would be the office of the prosecutor. Um, but here it's like he's hurled them into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He's become my salvation because I have trusted in him and not just gone my own way um, through fighting with my own strength and my own means or relapsing and going back to the old way. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he's cast into the sea and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. 
Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword and my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in power, in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you've led the people whom you've redeemed. In your strength, you've guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh, with his chariots and his horsemen, went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel, the people of God, walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. So that's... Um, that's the powerful song of Moses. And then that's followed by Miriam's answering them saying, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. So this, um, this is the word that I, I think we need to remember right now. And um, we need to think about um, the, some of the predatory powers that we need to be able to identify and um and we need to seek um, help from those powers. Like, think about the serpent in the, in the garden. He comes after the woman, and with attempt with the you know with his words that were just crafty and, and seductive, and turned her heart away from trusting in the goodness of God, so that she ate, and then her, uh, the man ate. They both ate, and um, and think about um, you know the you know the um, Cain, the story of Cain, where he's angry because God chooses, looks upon his brother Abel's offering. And God, um, God comes to him and says, Cain, why are you angry? Sin is crouching at the door and its desire or lust is for you, but you must master it. So there's predatory um, anger that is described there. And God, but God is there and God um, invites Cain to reflect on the origins, the, the roots of his anger and and gives him a word showing that he believes in him, that he can resist this. Um, we have other scriptures like 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee the evil desires of youth, uh, Paul writes to Timothy. Um, John, James 4.7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, you know, throughout, um, we, throughout the scriptures, we see that... Um, you know, even Jesus, like when he, um, right after his baptism, he's pursued by the devil in the wilderness, isn't he? Who, who tempts him. And, um, 
and right after the Lord's Supper, when Jesus celebrates the Passover, you know, this, this reality of Jesus celebrating the Passover, um, you know, in, in the, when he gives his, uh, the bread and the, and the wine, his body and his blood, Jesus is presenting himself as the Passover lamb, as the firstborn, God's firstborn, who comes in the flesh to um, undo the power of death and to, um, you know, and to actually bring about a new exodus, you know, like communion of uh, the Eucharist is a, a, a celebration that takes place where we acknowledge that, that we have a savior who's Jesus, who has taken upon the sins of the, taken the sins of the world upon himself. And through his body and his blood, we have salvation. And, um, but it's, it's at that night when he was arrested, um, that we would need to remember that like on the Passover, uh, the eve of the Passover, the Israelites needed to flee. Jesus at that point took off um, to the Mount of Olives where he was pursued, you know, by um, Judas with the, you know, the, the, all of the people with the torches and who came and arrested him. Right. And so even um, in the aftermath of that, um, that Passover event, we have, um, you know, we have a pursuit of, of Jesus and his disciples and the scattering of his disciples. But it's, it's right it, in that event of the cross that Jesus disarms the principalities and the powers and defeats them and deals a death blow through uh, taking on death upon himself and dying on the cross and through coming out of those waters of death, victorious, you know, the resurrected Jesus. He, um, and he accomplishes what was symbolically um, visible in his baptism, you know, and it's, it's baptism where we celebrate actually the, the death of the flesh, death of the, and the death of the powers, the death of the chariots and the horsemen. You know, we go into the waters and we die to the, to the flesh and we come up and the spirit comes upon us. And, uh, and it's that, um, that's the, that's the Exodus, which involves a departure. And, um, in my teachings on baptism, I talk about how actually is Jesus left his land, the homeland, Israel. And this is a critical thing to remember, especially right now with this conflict in the Middle East where there's, you know, there's people taking sides. And what we see with Jesus is that at his baptism, he left the land and he came back not to promote the state of Israel or um, any state, but to promote the kingdom of heaven. So he wasn't about um, a political solution, but was about um, the kingdom of heaven, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. And and so anyway, we need to, to take note of these powers that are pursuing us. And here's a few more scriptures. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. We flee from it because it's pursuing us, the, the powers uh, of, you know, the seduction, spirits that, relate, that are related to seduction can pursue us. And that doesn't mean that everything's spiritual because, you know, um, we're reminded that that some of these things just have to do with our own, um, our own will and our need to turn away and resist um, our own flesh, the lusts of, that are in us. First um, Corinthians ten um, says, "Flee from idolatry." And why do we flee from idolatry? Because um, it's pursuing us. You know, um, Christian nationalism is a predatory power that is that has gotten a hold of so many people. Um, you know, but there's other predatory powers. Uh, wokeism of sort could be a predatory power. 
you know, or a, a particular kind of ideological, any, any ideological position can be predatory in the sense that it provides a security and an identity. And uh, that's other than our identity as, as ch children of, of God. First Timothy 6, 9 to 11 says, um, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, but flee from these things. Okay, so flee from the, the love of money, from mammon, because it's predatory, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Um, that's a powerful text that... Um, so just in closing, I just want to go back to Abraham and just look at something that I think is so powerful um, about, you know, just the path of faith. And, um, you know, this is something that that I think about a lot right now when people are talking about, you know, politics is just front and center in our mindset. But if we look at Hebrews chapter um, 11, it's, uh, it's so powerful what Hebrews tells us about, you know, just about Abraham and some of the other heroes of the faith, so to speak. So I just want um, to check this out. So Hebrews 11 talks about, um, by faith, Abraham. Um, well, that's talking earlier. I'm going to go um, further back in Hebrews 11, where it says, um, by faith, verse 8, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. And this is like uh, back to the Exodus. This is like, you know, he left his homeland and which, um, you know, and Israel, the people of God were called to leave um, the land of slavery and to go into this period of wilderness wandering. And I think in a way, this wandering state of being in the wilderness, of being between uh, the land of slavery and our final destination, which is the kingdom of God, is the state that we're called to be in. We're called to be stateless. You know, the people of God are called to be stateless. And, and in this way, we can and should be able to identify with, you know, refugees and immigrants and, you know, people that are fleeing uh, places like Gaza right now. And, um, for he was looking, Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And, um, you know, that is that is just so, so powerful to me. And, um, you know, and I think about just a little bit later in verse 13, um, others are described. And then it says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, the land of slavery, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for God has prepared a city for them and for us. And so let's remember that. Um, and um, let's be people of God who are, you know, looking for um, 
a, a kingdom that whose builder and maker is God and not being seduced um, to go back to mindsets that are just uh, about security and about identity that are uh, that are not uh, that are that are foreign to who we truly are as people that have been redeemed who are children of God and our primary identity is um, you know through that spirit of sonship daughter that we get through the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. God, I, I ask that you'd help us right now to be able to identify the powers that are predatory, the, the pharaohs, the, 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 this, the Egypt of um, the horses and the riders that are pursuing us and that we would, we would put our trust in you, Jesus, 100%, and that we would, we would not fear, that we would resist fear completely, and um, that we would be people who um, who completely trust you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds. Um, thank you, God, that you tell us, you know, um, through Paul's writings in Romans 8.15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear. And 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And so, Lord, help us to be people that, that trust and that, uh, and that resist fear and um, who are really um, not putting our hope in a, a delusional thinking about reformation, even as we try to pursue uh, change in all of our zones of influence. But just help us to be able to know that you, Jesus, are the Savior of the world, and we need you. And we, um, we just ask for your help and your mercy now. We pray in your name. Amen.